Hello there, Dr. Alan Hedberg here with you, and this is the Psychology Report. Today is a very special day in America. It's a very special day in the world. It's a very special day in the Pacific Rim. Today is the day our minds and our hearts and our thoughts, our prayers, our emotions, our memories, our attention is focused on Hawaii, Pearl Harbor. Yes, it was 75 years ago. I don't know what you were doing 75 years ago, but I was a young child. I don't remember the event, although I remember reports of it over the years afterwards. My parents remember the event, and I remember them speaking of it. Not too many years ago, I visited Hawaii. I stood on the deck. I looked down at the Arizona. I experienced in a vicarious way Pearl Harbor. I was young, but it was moving. I was inexperienced, but yet it was profound for me. It made me focus on issues and on values that otherwise I would have missed. I would not have included in my realm of experience. I appreciate the fact that Bernice and I went to Hawaii, took our children, and the five of us stood there at the deck in Pearl Harbor looking at the wreckage of what had taken place in 1941 at 8 o'clock in the morning, Pearl Harbor Day. You know, it's profound even to this very day. As I speak of it and as I think about it and as I remember it, my life is moved, my emotions are stirred, my memory is provoked, but my value system is stirred, is stirred up to be stronger, to be more resolved, and to know that it's just not history. It was history for me. It was history for my family. It was history for my country. It was history for the future of America. Without history, being profound and our reflecting on it, our future is thin. Our future is less uh, profound, if you will. I was saddened the other day when I heard the remarks of our president, Mr. Obama. His remarks were thin. His remarks were anemic compared to the profoundness of the event that had taken place. I felt badly for him. He didn't understand it. He missed it. He wasn't even born then. But he missed the profound purpose and nature and the very essence of what Pearl Harbor is and was on that day. He tried to reflect a kind of a feeling of gratitude and appreciation for the lives of the men and women who died there and their families. He tried to say a few words of what we call condolence, which is about the worst word we have in our dictionary when we want to express emotion. And he just didn't touch the heartstring of the American people, of this American event. So it's up to us. It's up to us to take it further and to bring it home and to bring it into our own hearts and bring it into our own families and to bring it into our own prayer of thanksgiving. Pearl Harbor, 1941, 8 a.m. in the morning. You know, when you reflect back, 
over the years, the 75 years. And even just take the last 40 years, if you want to think of it that way, just split it in half about. America has had its foundational stones disrupted, uplifted. Our foundation is not what it was at the time of Pearl Harbor, and, it was, and it's not today what it was just 40 years ago. We've had an uprooting of our very foundational stones of America. 40 years ago, we had a certainty. We had a certain confidence about our freedoms in our world. The freedoms in our community, the freedoms in our families and in our homes. We enjoyed a sense of safety, and a sense of freedom, and a sense of ability to work hard and to gain the pleasures that comes from hard work and success. Our culture was strong, our culture was integrated, our culture was positive, and our culture was hopeful. Unappreciated. Freedom is not understood. Freedom is not recognized. Just take the remarks of Colin Kaepernick of the San Francisco 49ers. I hate to bring up his name. I hate to give him any credit, any attention. But you know, it's not him. But there's a host of people that he represents and that he gave voice to. And he gave encouragement to do the same thing, to spit in the face of liberty, to spit in the face of the lives at Pearl Harbor that died there, to spit in the face of the families of family members who died in Pearl Harbor, to spit in the face of the flag, to spit in the, fla- in the face of, of uh, the liberties of common sense and liberties of freedom and uh, expression and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of just having a life as we would want it and as we desire it and to pursue our happiness in our own way. It's a sad story when you think of Colin Kaepernick but you know he represents the opposite of what Pearl Harbor represents. He represents the antithesis of what Pearl Harbor was and still is in the lives and the memories and the hearts of Americans today. It's a shame to have people like Kaepernick in our country. It's a shame to have them express their anti-Americanism. Sure, our country gives them the freedom to do that. We have an amendment that says freedom of speech. But it's sad that that's the speech they give. That that's the speech they make. And that's the speech they lay in the coffin and on the table of the victims and the death that Pearl Harbor represents. Over the years, America has been uprooted. We've seen this uprooting much more in the last eight to ten years than we've had throughout the history. It's gradually uprooted, but in the last eight years, it's been uprooted greatly. Let me just give you some statistics and look look at kind of where we are in America when we make the comparison since Pearl Harbor. But even in the last 40 years or the last 10 years, crime, violent crime, is on a significant incline. It is much more prevalent and part of our day-to-day life than it has ever been in history. 
Take a look at the state of Florida. On the average, there's one violent crime committed every five to six minutes. One violent crime every five to six minutes in Florida. That's the culture we have today. That's not the culture that was there at the time of Pearl Harbor. That's not the culture that was there 40 years ago. It's not the culture that was there 10 years ago. But it's the culture we have today. Take a look at the issue of the single parent family. You know, today we have a huge number of children living in homes of one parent, mostly a mother, sometimes a father. And we have a huge number, 8 million children, who are living in the homes of their grandparents because their children, I mean, because their parents are unable to care for them. They're either in prison or they're drug addicts or they just don't care. Or they don't have the ability to raise a family. They have the ability to have a child, but they don't have the ability to raise a family. Look at the state of Louisiana as an example. Almost 50% of the children in Louisiana live at a single parent home. 50% of the children in Louisiana live in a single parent home. That's about the highest or the second highest in the nation. Louisiana. Let's take a look at another factor. Illegal drugs. Just look at the problem of illegal drugs in our country. We didn't have that at the time of Pearl Harbor. We didn't have that 40 years ago. It was starting to come into America 40 years ago after the Vietnam War. But we've had it enormously in the last 10 years that we're going to have, and it's going to double in the next 10 years because we are now allowing marijuana to be purchased and used and brought into our country for recreational purposes as well as medical purposes. And you have to remember, everything is recreational. There's probably nothing that is outside the bounds of recreational use of marijuana. Anything you do, you can say that's recreational. So marijuana has a free reign in our country today. Look at the state of New Hampshire. Nearly 30% of the youth in the ages of 18 to 25 report using illegal drugs. 30%. Now that would be young people who have just graduated from high school and have probably just graduated from college or are about to graduate from college. Is that age group? Let's call it the college group. 30% are using illegal drugs in New Hampshire. And that's going to increase now with the marijuana becoming legalized. So it will be illegal drugs and those that have become, Ill have become legal. And it won't be 30%, it will be up to 50% pretty soon. That's New Hampshire. But that's just a representation of what's happening across the country. Look at another issue. Late-term abortion. There are states in the in the United States that are known as late state, I mean late-term abortion states. The state that is the capital of late-term abortions is New Mexico. 
most of the abortions after 20 months, I mean, pardon, pardon me, after uh, 20 weeks, 20 weeks of gestation, 20 weeks, are performed in New Mexico. Abortions at 20 weeks of age and after primarily are carried out in the state of New Mexico. And then we have now abortions defined differently. We now have abortions of choice. We now have the opportunity, or we will soon have the opportunity, to have an abortion where a twin can be selected for the abortion while the other twin is selected to be saved, to be preserved. So we have this choice abortion now before us. It's in other countries, it's coming to America. And now we hear of two embryos suing a mother for an abortion. Two embryos, which means that embryos now are defined as having life. With this lawsuit goes forward, it will define when life occurs because an embryo has life and only something that has life can sue another person that has life for a deed that was inappropriate or incorrect or illegal or unwanted. So we have abortion now of a state. Canada hasn't had a change in their abortion law since 1980. They have full range abortion, unrestricted, unlimited, that way since 1988. Never changed. So you see, that's, that was not with us 40 years ago. Although it was just starting to emerge. You know, and lastly, we have a change in the recognition and the acceptance of faith in our country. Identifies themselves as an agnostic or an atheist. There's a God, or have somehow decided that there is no God. The state of Washington, 20% of the population identify as being agnostic or atheistic. The state of Washington, 20%. That wasn't the case at the time of Pearl Harbor. That wasn't the case just 10 years ago. It's increasing. When you have a society where the cultural roots are pulled up and dispersed and destroyed and the foundational stones have been cracked and pulled up and the basis of our world and our value system and our constitution is being questioned and being scorned and laughed at we have a country that's falling apart at the seams that's our world today we have to reflect back thankful for Pearl Harbor thankful for the people who lived through Pearl Harbor and made it thankful for the people who survived and they gave it a try they did their best to save America to save the flag that so many people today step on and burn and laugh at and scorn and sit down upon but you know we'll rise again our country is strong. Our country has greater strength than it has weakness. And all these areas might look like they're weak areas of our culture and of our country. But in each of these areas, there's more strength than there's weakness. 
Let's not forget that. That's your country. It's my country. In your Pearl Harbor, it was my Pearl Harbor. Don't forget it. This is Dr. Alan Hedberg, and this has been the Psychology Report. I refer you to my website, booksbyhedberg.com, booksbyhedberg.com. Take a look at there. There's a number of books that will identify with you and you with it, and maybe you'll want to buy it. The book by John Edwards, the scholar of the 1700s, would be an excellent book. If you, just, if you have just a touch of interest in history, pick up that book and buy it and give it as a gift for Christmas. Nice to talk to you, and uh, this has been the Psychology Report. Bye for now.